0: So those of you uh, that are in the service with me today, those of you that are paying attention online, uh, you can turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And uh, we have uh, the verses that I'm gonna read today. But the reason why I chose to be in this passage of scripture today and talk about Jesus being the vine and us being the branches is because this week, I was assigned a verse from this passage by the coordinator for the National Day of Prayer. Now, I've gone to the National Day of Prayer in the past. Uh, In years past, it's been over at the atrium here in downtown Garland, which is uh, a a place that's right there in the Patty Granville Arts Center. And uh, it's been there for many, many years. And I have attended that on numerous occasions. Obviously, none of us attended it last year because there were no gatherings uh, last year. In fact, we were blessed to be in a state that allowed our church to start gathering again at about this time. This was uh, last year at about this time was when the governor said, hey, no, uh, you need to open up. You can let people get out and get about and get about, and they're going to be just fine. uh, But there was no National Day of Prayer, at least uh, National Day of Prayer gathering last year. But it's always the first Thursday in May. And there's a new coordinator this year. His name is Moses Uvere. Really nice guy. Uh, I've known for several years. Uh, He actually knows our uh, bass player and Uh, technical minister, Elijah Nelson, really, really well, and he asked me to come and to pray at the National Day of Prayer and to speak, and each person that he asked to be a part of that, he gave a verse of scripture. The verse of scripture that he gave to me is John 15, verse 5, okay? John 15, verse 5. Now, by the way, so that I don't forget, if you want to be involved With us in the National Day of Prayer, and you would like to come, it's at Lavon Drive Baptist Church this year, um, which is that big church that's right off of 78 uh, as you uh, head toward Firewheel Mall over there, and uh, it's going to be over there. It's going to be from 11 o'clock until 12:30. Now I realize a lot of you have jobs and you're at school and so forth, and you may not be able to attend. But if you're available. It's open to everybody. Obviously, it doesn't cost anything. I'm not the only one that is going to be praying and speaking. There's a bunch of other interesting people that are going to be there. The mayor is going to be there. Uh, uh, Assistant Chief Charles Rene of the Garland Police Department is going to be there. A number of other pastors from other churches are going to be there. So we would love to have you be a part of that. And uh, various of us who are praying and speaking have been given verses from John chapter 15. So today, I wanted to really kind of open up to you what I think the Lord is saying, uh, at least to me, regarding this passage of Scripture. And um, I wanted that to soak in for you, because I know that not all of you can be there, Um, and uh, I don't know whether it's going to be available online or any of that sort of thing, but I wanted to be able to speak to you about this very, very important passage. So let's take a look at it here. This is John 15. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. Jesus is speaking to the disciples, and this is right after the Lord's Supper, and they've gotten up, and they've left that room where they had the Lord's Supper together. They ate Passover, and then Jesus, uh, right at the end of the Passover meal, said, hey, now I want you to take this bread, and it's my body, and I want you to remember me, and remember how I'm going to suffer for you. And then he took the, the cup of wine, and he said, now this cup represents my blood of the new covenant, which is I'm going I'm to pour out for you. And as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are going to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You're going to proclaim my death for you until I return. And so that is the essence of the Lord's Supper. And then they got up and they left the room and they were were heading toward a garden called the Garden of Gethsemane, which is where Jesus poured out his heart to the Father and, and suffered emotionally before he went to the cross and suffered physically for us. And I have always imagined that Jesus was giving this discourse, this this teaching, as they were walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, but it could have been after they got there. But I I imagine him walking along, and as they they went out into the Kidron Valley, they would have seen a lot of different grapevines. And Jesus would have gestured over at one of those grapevines and said, I want you guys to understand something. I am the vine. I'm the true vine, and you are the branches. If anyone remains in me, abides in me, sticks with me, then he or she will bear much fruit, because apart from me, you can do nothing. That's John 15, 5. I memorized that when I was in college. And like I said, I'm going to read the whole thing. But I would, I would imagine that as Jesus was doing this teaching, that they were walking along in the midst of probably a bunch of grapevines, right, in a vineyard, or maybe there were grapevines or a vineyard uh, as a part of the Garden of Gethsemane, but nonetheless, it was right there in front of them. In fact, one year, I brought a group of students uh, on a mission trip uh, to California, and um, there were, California grows a lot of grapes, uh, and so we went right outside the house that we were staying at, and Lo and behold, there was a grapevine out there. So I took my students out and we parked in front of a grapevine as I would imagine Jesus had done, and I read this passage. So let's read it together. This is John 15, 1 through 7. You're going to hear again the verse that I just quoted because it's verse 5. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. He is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Friends, that's what we need to do is to remain in Christ, to stick with Jesus, to abide in the vine. We have many priorities in our lives. We have many families that are represented in this room, as evidenced by the number of children that uh, stood up here just a moment ago. And you have a lot of different things to do in order to take care of your family, to provide for your family, to protect your family. So we can become so distracted. We can become so full in our schedule and with our activities that we forget why we're doing any of this to begin with. What's the point? Well, a number of you over the last couple of years have crossed that magical age of 40. Yeah. Now, there was a, uh, an important psychologist, a Harvard psychologist by the name of Eric Erickson, who wrote in the uh, late 50s and early 60s primarily, and he talked about the stages of social development, at least in Western countries. And uh, two stages that I'll mention, one of them is for children, This is stage four, and it is roughly the age of the children that were sitting up here just now. And he said that each of these stages is comprised of a, a set of conflicts that you have to resolve before you successfully move on to the next stage. And if you don't resolve that conflict, then there is an overhanging problem from that previous stage. Well, for children, the conflict that Eric Erickson saw that needed to be resolved was what he called industry versus inferiority. Industry means, can you do something? Children are learning how to do a lot of different stuff, right? It's the age of uh, their initial education. We call it elementary school, right? And so they're learning to do all sorts of stuff, and they're learning about all sorts of stuff. They're learning about science, and they're learning about math, and they're learning about history and You know, many of you take your children and you have them participate in a variety of activities. I teach a karate class here. We have a lot of kids that are in that. And uh, I know that uh, a number of our kids are in soccer or they're in baseball. Um, A number of our kids are involved in music. So children are learning to do these sorts of things. And as they learn, they become more confident and more competent, Now, I'm mentioning this because our children are with us, but I'm mentioning it also because you're going to see how it ties in to the stage that I want to talk about, which ties into this passage of scripture, right? Long about late 30s, early 40s, you move into this stage. Now, again, this is Eric Erickson. This is not the Bible. I'm using this as an illustration and to help you understand you're going to identify with it or you're not. You're going to see that, you know, it's not the inspired word of God, but there's some wisdom here. As you move into your your late 30s, early 40s, you're moving into a a stage that Eric Erickson called um, generativity versus stagnation. Now, again, these are words that most of us don't use, but generativity just means productivity. It means are you doing something that matters versus stagnation? You just feel like you're spinning your wheels. All right, I changed metaphors. That's a mixed metaphor, right? Stagnation and spinning your wheel. Okay, how about this? Have you ever seen a stagnant pond? Everything is just dying in it. Well, I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but this is the downside. This is, this is what you've got to resolve as you move up until really about retirement age. You're saying, am I doing anything that matters here? Or what am I doing that matters? or am I gonna leave a legacy behind? Well, this is one of the reasons why. Um, There's an earlier stage uh, going back, and this is where you are in your late teens and early 20s, that's called intimacy versus isolation. And so what you're trying to accomplish there is to achieve a successful intimate relationship. For many of us, for most of you, that means marriage, And and I have to qualify in our current cultural situation, that means marriage to an opposite sex person wherein you are capable of producing children. So one of the ways, once you've reached this uh, ripe old age of of 40, that you feel as though you're leaving a legacy is you've had children and you're raising them up to be good citizens and healthy people, right? Right? So you see how the way Erickson put this together, um, these, these stages build on one another and, and how they're all important. But I want, to, I want to kind of bridge back and forth between the stage that these children are in and the stage that their parents are in, and I want to tie that to this passage of Scripture. Industry versus inferiority. If the child doesn't believe that they can accomplish something, then they become insecure. They feel incompetent. And this hangs over their lives until really they can resolve that question. And this is why as a parent, it's important for you to begin to let your children do it themselves. Don't always do it for them. Now, I know you know that. I'm not trying to be the, the, the single old guy telling you how to parent but I think that it is important for us to realize that we are in a culture uh, that is—I I call it a nanny culture. It's almost like we—we're we, all victims, and we feel like that's because of somebody else, and we all need somebody else to do it for us. And so, you know, the, even adults—they don't want to pick up after themselves. They don't want to clean up. They don't want to flush the toilet. For crying out loud, and say, "Oh, that's disgusting, Pastor." That's because upstairs earlier, I had to flush the toilet because one of the children did not do it. Learn to do it yourself. It's okay. Man, my mom was good. She was big on this. She taught me how to do my own laundry. I was doing my own laundry when I was nine. Of course, I also took the washing machine apart right about that time and got into some serious trouble. Actually, I was even younger than nine. I can remember sitting on top of the washing machine, this is how little I was, with tools, taking it apart. (laughs) I wanted to know how the thing worked. I don't know what I was thinking, honestly. Something, it was going through my brain, and yeah, it was one of the times that I got into some serious trouble, because washing machines are not cheap. And of course, I could take it apart, but that didn't mean I could put it back together. In any event, industry versus inferiority. Industry, they need to be able to do stuff so that they can achieve competence, so that once they reach your age, they're competent, and they're confident and they're in a career. You see, this is the reason why some people just never really hold down a job, because they've never gotten to that place of competence where they believe that they can do it. You've got to believe that you can do it, and this is where your your faith can be a strong support for you. The Lord Jesus, speaking through the Apostle Paul, um, helped us to understand the need to be dependent on him all the time, uh, the Apostle Paul said, I've, I've learned how to get by with much or with little. He said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Kids, if you're still with me, repeat after me. Say, I can. I can. Do, all do all things through Christ who, Christ who gives me strength. Now, you know what I like about my karate kids? We do some hard stuff in there sometimes. We break boards. And sometimes they break. They try to break a board they think that they can do it. And, uh, you know, I'll kind of let them know whether I think they can do it, but I'll still let them try. And they'll, they'll try and they'll hurt their hand. And then I say, OK, stand this way and turn this way and, you know, hit it this way and so forth. And they'll try again. And maybe they don't break it that time. But most of our kids just keep trying. Right. So uh, an, an example comes to mind. Uh, Asher Wilson was uh, trying to break one of the hardest boards with a kick and I was holding it, and he wasn't able to break it. And I realized, you know what, I need to hold it a little lower for him because I'm seeing how hard he's kicking, and I'm watching the, the mechanics of his kick, and they're, they're solid. I've taught him well, his dad has taught him well. I, I believe in him, I believe he can break this. But see, he had to have enough confidence to keep on trying. Yeah. See, this is the problem, kids, you give up too soon it hurts. You're mad. You're embarrassed because some other kid can do it, but you can't do it, and now it's frustrating you. Don't give up. Asher didn't give up. I lowered the board. Boom! He kicked it, and it broke. He puffed his chest out. (laughs) He went looking for his dad immediately. That's industry versus inferiority. We've got to learn that we can do it. But then we get older and we start asking ourselves, yeah, but what am I doing that really matters? So when you're seven, learning how to break a board matters because it builds confidence and competence, at least in our karate club, right? But when you get older, you realize that ultimately that's not what matters, okay? I can break a bunch of boards, I can break bricks, but does that really matter? Not really. Is that gonna leave a lasting legacy on earth? Mm, Not really, unless I do something with it. Are you listening? That's why I teach these kids. Honestly, honestly, there's times when I'm just tired of doing karate, but then these fresh-faced kids come in and I'm ready to teach them. I'm ready to help them to gain competence and confidence and capability to defend themselves. You see, my legacy won't happen through my kids because I don't have any. But hopefully, I've taught some of you who are now in your 40s who were teenagers, either in this church or in my other church. And hopefully, I've poured enough of the Word of God in you, and I believe that I have, to where I've done something that matters here's what jesus was saying and this i'm just going to focus on my verse i'm not going to go verse by verse through this but here's what jesus was saying he said i'm the vine you are the you are the if you abide in me what does abide mean what does it mean to stay to live literally to abide means to live if you live in me, if you stay with me, I don't mean like stay for a weekend or stay for a couple of weeks. No, like stick with me. Be with me and don't leave. Yeah. Oh, that's a huge problem in our in our culture in our society. We're the divorce, the divorce culture, right? We got a problem with somebody, kick them to the curb. Quite frankly, in the natural, I got a problem with somebody, I just don't wanna deal with them anymore. I don't wanna keep dealing with that, right? I don't wanna keep working at it, I just go, just go, go have fun, live your life, come back when you can you know, show some respect because I'm not into that. But when we have relationships that we are committed to, then we've gotta deal with that regardless of how we feel, regardless of whether it's being successful right now. Right? Jesus said, you need to remain in me because if you don't remain in me apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you do remain in me, he said, you will bear much fruit. Give me a synonym for fruitful. How about productive? You probably said that, right? Because I'm deaf. You're laughing at me. I see. Wait till you have my problem. How about successful? Successful. But see, the thing is, there are people who are not remaining in Christ. They're not even Christians. And from the world's definition, they are successful. They are productive. They're accomplishing all sorts of things. In fact, there are even churches like this. I can remember hearing a report about a missionary that came to the United States after spending many, many years in another country. And the missionary said uh, to the pastor of a, of a megachurch, he said, I am amazed at how much you can accomplish in the United States without the Holy Spirit. Ouch, oh my goodness, friends, you can have people flowing in and flowing out of the services. You can have two or three or four services. You can have the multimedia going. You can have children's programs and youth programs and you had everything going on in the world, but it's it doesn't matter because it's not really about Jesus. Now, let me just pause and this is where I'll be for a very short period of time at the National Day of Prayer. We all from various denominational groups and backgrounds need to learn that the focus must be Jesus, not something else, not critical theory, not denominational politics, not national politics, not personal fulfillment, There's many things that we consider important, but Jesus said, if you don't stick to me, it don't matter. At least that's how he'd say it if he was in the South, maybe. (laughs) So when you look back over your life, and some of you, you're too young to really be thinking about that. You're still thinking about, man, I just got to, you know, I I just got to meet my ends. All right. I'm not worried about all that legacy stuff. I just got to pay my bills next week, that sort of thing. But you get, you know, even if you can't always pay your bills, you get to this place in your life where you start thinking, wow, time is actually starting to run out. I didn't think of it that way, but now I'm thinking, time is actually, I need to do something that matters. Yes, you do. And apart from Christ, nothing you do has any eternal significance. Stop. That's what matters. What matters is what you do, not for yourself or even for your family. What really matters is what you do for the kingdom. We wanna build Christ's kingdom, not our own brand or our own kingdoms. So what you and I need to do in this church, I'm not the pastor of everybody else's church, although I'm gonna encourage people that are gonna be there from a lot of other churches to do this same thing, is we need to make Jesus central our lives. How often do you pray? Do you know that there have been surveys done among pastors where even pastors indicate that they don't spend a significant amount of time in prayer? You see, we can get, is, those of us that are pastors, we can get so used to doing things, so habituated, so tied into our programming and the practices that we've established that we just really don't feel as though we need to rely on God so we just kind of keep doing what we've been doing now you don't have to be a pastor to i guess identify with this to uh, realize that this could be the case for you you could be anybody who is seeking to do work for the lord you could be a children's worker in this church it's, you know, these kids are amazing, but you know, I mean, it's a lot of work and who wants to be up there all the time? But we need you up there. They need you up here. You want to know what's going to matter in the end? What's going to matter is how you invested in those kids. Right? The band, they've been faithful for many, many years. They come up here most Mondays. They come up here really early on Sundays And they've moved further away from Garland, so they've got to drive further in in order to accomplish this. And they do that so that they can do four or five songs on Sunday morning. But is that all they're doing? Performing, doing some songs, playing an instrument, singing? No, hopefully, and I know that this is what they want to do, they are leading you into the presence of God. That matters. What could they be doing? They could be sleeping in? And then going out to brunch? Does that matter? No, no. Now, I'll tell you a little secret that won't be a secret anymore. Um, Two years ago, they had the National Day of Prayer and I didn't go. You know why? I just got tired of going. I just got tired of the same old thing. I'd go every year and, you know, I'd go over to the atrium and I'd get in there. It was just the same thing every year. And I was asking the question that I'm asking you to answer here for your own life. Does this matter? Are we doing anything here that matters? Because I don't want to waste my time anymore. Now, if you really have a relationship with Jesus, what you're going to find is if you're spending your time doing a bunch of things that don't matter, he's going to come in and start pruning some of those things. That's why I gave the kids the story about the rose bushes. Kids, that's called pruning. Ransom, you know what I like about you? You you pay attention really, really well. I can see why you're so smart. You really pay attention. It's called pruning, and it's no fun. When you're doing stuff that you really, really love, and you find you've got to get rid of that activity, okay, so uh, how many of you kids and kids at heart love to play video games? Raise your hand. Is that important? No, it's not. But can it take up a bunch of your time? Oh, yeah. All right. So I can remember back in the 90s, I was a youth minister. And this is among many times when I developed relationships with young people and tried to use uh, interaction with them, use relationship with them uh, to guide them in the right direction. So I saw all of these guys were playing video games. We used to go over to one of our youth workers' house and people would play video games and other people would sit behind them and watch them play video games. And I thought, this is, why are we doing this? Now people are on Twitch and they're doing that and putting it out on the internet and getting tipped and all this other stuff. It's weird how people not only want to play video games, they want to watch other people play video games sorry, don't get it. I'm not interested in watching you play video games. I know, I'm an old guy. But I bought the latest, greatest entertainment system that they had back then. The uh, I think it was the Super NES. And I got this game called James Bond 007 Goldfinger or something. Okay, anyway. And it was patterned after this movie. It was very, very popular. And I had these three or four young men that would come over to my house, and they would play Bond—that's what we called it. Bond. I made them put it in paintball mode because I wasn't about to see blood splattered all over the place. I did. I made them put it in paintball mode, so then the shoot—the other guy would be—they'd be splattered with paint, and then fall to the ground, and then you go on. Anyway, they would play this game, and I'm not joking—they would play it all night. Right? I'd invite them over uh, to my apartment and they would all basically camp out of my living room long about midnight. I'd go back into my room and crash. And I remember one time, these guys were still at it when I woke up in the morning. It was 7 a.m. They had been playing Bond all night long. Does that matter? But the relationships that they develop, that matters. That I developed a relationship with them that to this day I could still communicate with them and still reach out to them, that matters. But we waste a lot of our time and sometimes the Lord sees fit to prune those things. Kids, this is when your parents say, nope, you're not doing your homework. This activity, this activity, and this activity are taken away. You're on your phone too much, you're on social media too much, taking your phone away. And you scream and cry because somebody just cut your arm off, basically. They just cut a limb off, that's what it feels like. But it's pruning. And it will cause you to pay attention to what's important. Now adults, although I've aimed this at the kids, this is you. You need to start looking at where you're spending your time and what you're doing because it all seems important. But when you don't have time to do what you know is really important, then you're spending too much time on things that don't matter. But rather than looking at individual activities and trying to decide what matters and what doesn't matter, what Jesus said we need to do is to abide in him, to remain in him, to focus on him. Now, let me go back. A bunch of these kids that are in here in my karate club. Who knows? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, somebody know it? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. In all your ways? Acknowledge. What does that word acknowledge mean? Be aware. Of Be aware of Means you keep Him in mind. In how many ways should I acknowledge Him? Oh. Oh. So the Apostle Paul said, pray without ceasing. How do you do that? The way I say is that you take your thoughts that are always spinning through your mind and you turn those into prayers. Instead of talking to yourself, instead of just letting your thoughts flit here and there, focus your thoughts on Christ. Focus your thoughts on praying. And that's how you pray without ceasing. I don't have to be wandering around chanting all day long or something, right? I don't have to quit my job and become a, a monk and go, you know, move out to the, the desert somewhere and and just try to pray all day. I I couldn't do that. But I can take all of my thoughts and I can focus them on Jesus and I can acknowledge him in all my actions. And what you're gonna find is if you've opened yourself up to the presence of God, if you have called Jesus your Lord, that means He's the Master, He's the ones in He's the one who is in charge then you're gonna find that the Holy Spirit will seek to direct you all the time. And one of the ways he directs you is, I've heard Christians say it this way, this is not a biblical phrase, but it helps us to understand what uh, the Bible says when it says the Holy Spirit convicts us. I've heard people say, I got a check in my spirit. Have you ever heard somebody say that? I got a check in my spirit about that. You know what a check is? You ever watched hockey? Who's ever watched hockey? Right? So literally, they ram into each other and knock each other into the wall. And it's legal, as long as they don't whack each other with their sticks. But like one hockey player, we'll he'll be going along like this. You know, he's got his hockey stick. Like, and another hockey player just comes right up and slams him into the wall. And it's awesome. <laughs> and so, you know, he loses the puck, and the other guy that slammed him into the wall takes the puck. Well, the Holy Spirit doesn't usually slam you that hard, but he will go. <laughs> and you're like, why am I feeling like this? Why is my conscience bothering me? This doesn't seem to be wrong. I don't understand. Now, I still haven't figured out why. I can't even absolutely guarantee you that this was the Holy Spirit, but I'm telling you what, um, ever since the governor let the mask mandate off, I haven't worn my mask. I just haven't been wearing it at all, anywhere. I go into Walmart, and I'm the only guy not wearing a mask. I'm just walking around Walmart, staying six to 10 feet away from everybody, not wearing my mask. I go into Kroger, walking around, six to 10 feet away from everybody, not wearing my mask. I go to the gym, don't wear my mask. I go to the uh, Glorious, don't wear my mask. I come here to church, don't wear my mask. But for some reason, I was going into Walmart, I think it was yesterday morning, and I just got a check in my spirit that said, "Put on your mask." Still don't know why. And initially, I was like, "No, I'm free, and I don't." And there was just it. It wasn't a hard hockey check. Now I've had a few of those from the Holy Spirit, like where the Holy Spirit just knocks you into the wall, and you know you're like trying to recover. This is more like, "Okay, okay, I'll put on my mask. I'm suffocating." But this is what I told you before. This is what I told you when the pandemic started. You need to pay attention to the Holy Spirit because he's going to direct you. He's going to give you that check. He's going to say, ah, ah, ah. you don't need to go that way. So some of our friends that are that are back here were telling me that uh, near their apartment, uh, there was a guy that was shooting his gun. Well, you know what? I heard those gunshots because this is an apartment complex in downtown Garland. I heard five gunshots the other night. Bop, bop. Whoa. Are we living in a dangerous world? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And by the way, it doesn't matter where you go. There's danger everywhere. Right? You can lock yourself inside your house forever and think you're going to be safe, but there's danger everywhere. You need to pay attention to the Holy Spirit. Amen? Because you don't know what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, where it's going to happen, but you do know that if you pay attention to the Spirit, if you acknowledge Him in all your ways, He will do what, Felix? Or what's the other way of saying, make your path straight? Direct your path. Well, acknowledge him in all your ways and he will. So you need to pay attention. This is just another way of expressing what Jesus is saying here. Abide in me. Acknowledge the Lord. Jesus is Lord. Here's the way it works. You trust him and you pray and you obey amen trust pray obey that's my message for you today realize that apart from christ even if i'm safe even if i'm successful i'm not doing anything that matters for eternity but in christ i will be very fruitful i will be very productive i will bear much fruit so you need to be in christ pray with me Father, thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ here this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to give this burden that uh, is on my heart about us putting our focus on Jesus and not on all these other things. And uh, I pray that each of us in our personal lives and our families and in this community life all church that we will abide in Jesus, they'll put our focus on him. I pray all this in Jesus name, amen. Now, if you've never given your life to Christ, you've never committed your life to Christ, or if you would like to recommit your life to Christ, Pastor Craig will be down here. I'll be down here. We'd love to pray for you and pray with you.